Lord, we thank you that holiness is first a gift that you give us. That as we come to you in faith, you give yourself to us. And that it's your work to restore each one of us to the image of God that you created us in. And so we're just responding. We're responding to your grace and your love that was poured out at the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to continue to respond as we open your word now, that you would speak clearly to strengthen each of us in you and in your love. Amen. Well, church family, um, I'm really excited to preach this sermon this morning because this is um, a message This is something that God's been doing in me for the last, I'd say, three or four years. It's been something he's teaching me. So this week, for me, it feels like it gets to be the the overflow, not just of a week of time in the Lord's Word, but of years of walking with God and learning this um, dynamic that we're going to talk about this morning, which is, I am strengthened, or I am empowered by the Lord. I'm strengthened by him. So the bigger picture is that we're, we're doing a sermon series on identity in Christ. And we've talked about this idea of an exchange. That when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, what's given to him is our old life. Our sinful, self-led life. Our woundedness. The lies we've believed. The things that have happened to us that have shaped us for hurtful ways, for sinful ways, those are given because Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and to give us new life. And that in coming to him, we receive from him a new life, a new identity, that he actually looks at us and calls us clean, holy, beloved, forgiven, And he speaks these names and many more over us and that we've been learning. It's really important, like Brendan was just sharing, words are powerful. And so God speaks words to us and about us. And we're called to believe those words and even to speak them because that shapes our life. That shapes our sense of self. Meet a lot of Christians who don't know that they're valuable. That they're worthy of being loved, not just by God, but by other people. Of being treated kindly and respectfully. We're loved. We're valuable. We're even worthy of being treated with kindness and respect. So, we've said that in this sermon series, we just want to concentrate briefly because we could spend months and even years here, but briefly on what are the words that God says to us? What are some of the main words he speaks over us that shape us as believers so that we are able to embody within ourselves the good news of God's kingdom and of his forgiveness? And we're able to proclaim that to others and we're able to carry that out. And so we've said, the first thing God says to us is, you're free. I'm free. I'm not bound by my past and my sins and my mistakes. I'm free. The second thing is, I'm known and I'm loved. It could be the scariest thing in the world to have somebody know everything about you if they didn't love you. God knows us intimately and he loves us. Third identity statement that we focused on is, I'm never alone or abandoned. There are many times that we feel that way. But God says, I am with you. I won't ever leave you or forsake you. And then we meditated on this incredible promise that I am an heir, meaning I have an inheritance through my faith in Jesus Christ. That just like when somebody in in the natural dies and leaves an inheritance, so when Jesus died and I, through faith, am joined to him, I actually receive things, promises from God, spelled out in his word, that are mine. 
And then we said, I'm chosen for a purpose. That God has unique calling and gifting and purpose for each one of us. That we are the way we are because he made us that way. Because he chose our personality, he chose our giftings. Paul says he even chose the exact time and place where we'd be born. And he has purpose for how he wants to use us in the world to bless people and to serve him. And then last week, Pastor Julissa preached that as we try to live out God's purpose, we can know and be assured, I am protected and I'm provided for. I'm protected and I'm provided for. This morning, we're going to talk about I'm strengthened, um, I'm equipped, I'm empowered, and I want to use the word encouraged right along with that, because it's, a, it's an encouraging kind of strength that we're going to be talking about this morning. So I'm going to read to us, and we're going to look at the story, a story from the Old Testament, this is before Jesus, of a man by the name of King David, someone whom God had said, I, it, 13 years before where we read, we're going to read this morning, God had the, the prophet Samuel had anointed him and said, you're God's choice to be the next king of Israel, of God's people. And for 13 years, he's not gotten to be king. For 13 years, he's been chased. He's been on the run. He's been hunted. He's had his life under threat. He's been in foreign country and foreign territory. And when we pick up the story this morning and read from 1 Samuel 30, he has, there, here's the background. He has been leading a group of 400-ish men who are also the rejected of the society of Israel, those who were in debt, those who were distressed, those who had no place, they all gathered to David. And he'd been leading them for a number of years, and they actually become, later on, the scripture says they become his mighty men. So these losers of society become his mighty men by, by working with him. Well, they have been launching um, battles from They've been going on raiding parties, joining the, the, the group of people where they're living, who are called the Philistines. And now, the Philistines are actually going to go attack David's people, Israel. And David volunteers to go with them. He says, I'll help. I want to serve you. You've sheltered me in my time of trouble. You even gave me a town. The town was called Ziklag, where he and his men and their wives and their children could live. You've done all this for me. I want to go help you. And you know what happened? They said, we don't want your help. We don't trust you. We don't trust that you won't turn against us. So David's gone all the way, several days journey with his 400 men to go fight this battle and he gets rejected. And that's where we're going to pick up this text. First Samuel chapter 30. Has anyone got a page? 464. So David and his men turned back, and the text tells us, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev, that's the desert area where David and his men were living, and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, You're okay. It was an accident. <laughs> they killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. 
But David found strength in the Lord his God. Another translation says, more literally, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. That's a priestly garment. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, God answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and his 600 men with him came to the Besor Valley where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. Remember, they journeyed three days before they came back and found their place destroyed. And then they wept until they had no strength left. And then they started this journey. But David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drink, drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, Who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Carathites, some territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David asked him, Can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, Swear to me before God that you'll not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I'll take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day, 24 hours, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives, Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Besor Valley. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, Because they didn't go out with us, we'll not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. David made this a statute and an ordinance for Israel from that day to this. When David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah who were his friends, saying, Here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. David sent it to those who were in Bethel, Ramoth, Negev, and Jatir, to those in Aror, Shithmoth, Eshtemoah, and Rakal, to those in the towns of the Jeremelites and the Kenites, to those in Hormah, Bor, Ashan, Athak, and Hebron, and to those in all the other places where he and his men had roamed. In other words, He came back with quite a loot, an incredible amount of plunder that he was able to send it to all of these different towns and places. I think I've shared um, with you as a church family before that I had a particularly bad spell of about three weeks, um, I'm going to say about 18, 20 years ago, just after I'd graduated college where I had a concussion one Sunday, broke a hand another Sunday, and then the third Sunday went for a hike and broke my elbow. Well, um, the third Sunday when I broke the elbow, I went to emergency and um, was getting quite used to x-rays at this point in time. And um, they went to x-ray me, 
And this time they put on a, Teo, you would know what this is called. What's that garment they put on that lead apron? That's great because that's exactly what I was going to describe it like. It, they, they put this lead apron on to protect you against all the, uh, the, the x-rays damage. And, um, you know, it's really thin, but it feels so heavy. It just like you, I could bear, well, my arms are broken, so I could really barely lift them, but, but, um, it, it, it cloaked me with this feeling of heaviness. And I think back to that lead apron all the time now when I think about heaviness of spirit and heavy things or difficult things that happen to us because it's been my experience that difficult things can really feel like a lead apron on our hearts or on our spirits. Like they really can weigh us down. So whether it's a moment of feeling like, you know, I just can't face another week like last one. Or I can't have another difficult conversation with so-and-so. Or I just can't bear any more disappointment. Or I, can't, I cannot bear the thought that this situation or this relationship is not changing. I can't see how God's going to fulfill His promise to me. It, these are moments of feeling disappointed, of feeling alone, of feeling heavy, of feeling rejected, of feeling misunderstood, of feeling pressed in upon, feeling unable to do something that we're supposed to do, we're called to do. These are moments of feeling anxious and feeling afraid. And what do we do? And in these moments, it, there is a real feeling of being pressed in upon, feeling heavy. And I think about those feelings or those moments or that dynamic of feeling like a lead apron's coming over my heart or my spirit when I think about David this morning, when I think about him returning to Ziklag. I mean, you imagine that uh, God's given him this promise, you're going to be a king. And for 13 years, he has seen no fulfillment of that promise. One person said this, that at most points during these years, perhaps the only assurance that he could bring back to his mind that what God spoke was real was just the memory of Samuel speaking. I anoint you as the next king of Israel and the memory of the oil that Samuel would have pointed on his head, dripping down. But nothing else in the natural that he had, that he could look at and say, it's really happening. It's really going to come true. God's promise is really going to be fulfilled. Instead, all he experienced was the exact opposite of that. Instead of reigning on a throne in Israel, he's exiled from Israel. He's hunted by the current king of Israel. He has nothing that's been promised to him, and yet he presses on and on and on. And over those 13 years, all he does is honor the people around him, build them up, serve them. And so he takes all these losers of society that don't have a place in Israel, and he takes them to himself, and he trains them. He trains them for war, and he takes them out and leads them, and he equips them, and he gives them purpose. And he's doing the exact same thing when we pick up the story this morning. He takes them with him. They're going to go serve the Philistine leader who gave them that city of Ziklag where they could live because they needed a place to live. And he gets rejected by the enemies of his people. So now he's been rejected by his people. Now he's been rejected by their enemies. And they take a three-day journey back and they show up you know, downhearted and discouraged. We just wasted a week of walking and food and supplies, but at least we're going to be home. And they return home to find everything is gone. It's all gone. Everything they'd worked for over those years, the wives that they loved, the children that they loved and were raising, gone city burned to the ground like one layer after another 
of hard and difficult and heavy. And when is it going to stop? And it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop for David because not only has he lost everything, but the text says that his men were so distressed, so grieved, that they talked about stoning him. The people that he poured into, the people that he led and that he served and he gave himself to, are now talking about taking his life. You want to talk about feeling alone? And rejected? By everybody. When you think about David in this situation, I think it would not have been strange and none of us would be surprised if he decided to flee. If he saw that they were talking about stoning him and he said, I'm out of here. Like, I'm done. I'm done with you. If he got bitter in spirit and angry with them and said, you all are rejecting me after I've led you and done this for you. See you. And we would not be surprised if we read in the text that he didn't flee, but he fought. He, he challenged them and said, what are you talking about? Stoning me. Have I not led you and this and that and this and that for you? And you want to stone me? This is my fault. Come on now. We wouldn't be surprised if he fled. We wouldn't be surprised if, we fought, if he fought. And we wouldn't be surprised either if he froze. We wouldn't be surprised if rejection after rejection after rejection and the grief of the whole situation just weighed so heavily on him that when his men were talking about stoning him, he just quit. He just said, I'm done. I don't have any more. And he just kind of rolled over and gave in and said, okay, like that's it. Whenever you're ready, put me out of my misery. Kill me now. Nothing's going my way. 13 years. It's done. We wouldn't be surprised. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't give in to the despair. And he doesn't give in to the bitterness that his men have given into. You notice the text tells us that David and his men were so deeply distressed that they grieved and they wept until they could weep no more. They all had the grief. But David didn't get bitter. David didn't have a victim mentality. His men got bitter. This is where so many in the world and even the church get stuck woe is me why is this happening why am I a victim and bitterness takes root in the soul and the fruit of bitterness is anger and judgment against other people the fruit of bitterness is needing somebody to blame for why my situation is this way And so David's men get bitter and they turn against him and they want to kill him. But David doesn't succumb to bitterness. The text tells us David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now it doesn't tell us what what that looked like. It doesn't tell us what that includes. But we're going to look at that in, in a little bit. I'm going to open up. What does it mean to strengthen yourself in the Lord? But before we look at that, let's just look at the fruit of what happens when David doesn't give in to despair and to victim mentality and to bitterness, but he turns to the Lord and he strengthens himself in the Lord really quickly. Because one man strengthened himself in the Lord, he's able to get up in front of 600 others and say, Come on, guys, we've got wives and children to go get. Let's go. And they get up with him, and they follow him. Oh, I skipped over one thing. The first thing he did is he went to God, and he inquired of God, should I go? And he asked for guidance, and the Lord said, go, and you'll be successful. 
And so with the guidance of the Lord, he turns to the guys and he says, let's go. We aren't victims. We are going to get what the Lord gave us and to get it back. And so they go totally exhausted, but they go and the Lord strengthens them to keep going. When two of them, can't, 200 of them can't even walk, they're so tired. David goes on with the other 400. So you imagine how tired the other 400 are, but they press on and then they find them and they war against them for 24 full hours on that little strength. And they succeed in getting every single person and thing back that God, that had been taken from them and that had been given to them earlier by the Lord. Every single part of their inheritance comes back to them. And not just what they already had, but more. They plunder the camp of the enemy. And they come back loaded with loot. And they come back able to bless large amounts of people. And they come back unified because of a leader who says, nah, we aren't going to treat a certain group of people this way because they didn't have the strength. We're all sharing in this. It's incredible what transpires because one person strengthened himself in the Lord. And here's what I want to say to us. This is the last event that takes place in the life of David before he actually ascends to the throne. The very battle that the Philistines rejected him from in God's sovereignty is the one in which Saul and Jonathan, Saul's the current king of Israel, Jonathan's his son, are killed. David loved them. And he would not have wanted to be a part of killing them. God kept him from that. They're killed. And within days, David is being invited to take the throne. The darkest moment in his life becomes the gateway to the fulfillment of God's promises. Because he strengthened himself in the Lord. This reminds me of Jesus Christ. The darkest moment of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane becomes the gateway to him becoming the source of salvation for the world, the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, because he strengthened himself in the Lord in that garden, because he turned to God the Father and prayed and the scripture says, until he sweat drops like blood. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And because of Jesus strengthening himself in the Lord, you and I have something that David didn't have. We've got the indwelling of Jesus' spirit. If you are in Christ through faith, he promises to give you his own spirit. Right? We are body, soul, and spirit, the Bible teaches us. We're physical bodies. We have a soul, our mind, our emotions, and our will. And we have a spirit, an inner being. And when we come to faith in Jesus, he joins himself to us. The Bible says we become one spirit with him. Comforts us, counsels us, teaches us, guides us, strengthens us. So through Jesus persevering, we have something that David never have. And this is what Paul says about that spirit that we've been given. He prays for the new believers in the city of Ephesus, that's in Asia Minor. And he says to them, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. You'll be able to see, they'll be opened up. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted 
when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. It goes on, but I'll stop there. What he's saying is, God's given an inheritance to all of us who come to faith. Part of that inheritance, Scripture says a down payment of it, is his Holy Spirit. And I want you to know, says Paul, the Spirit you've been given is the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. That's amazing. And that's why Paul writes, later in that letter to the Ephesians, he writes, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not a, not a buck up your own strength or, or pull up your own bootstraps, but be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so like David strengthened himself, we must learn to strengthen ourselves because there's times, there are times where God allows, in his, in his wisdom, he allows all other support to pull away from us. God knows what we need, each of us, to develop into the people that he has made us to be and the callings that he has for us. And even though it is his will that we be, a, that he calls us a body, one body in Jesus Christ, and that we be a part of community and share in each other's lives, we strengthen each other, there are times and seasons where nobody will understand you, where no one will understand what you're going through, even in the body of Christ, where you will feel lonely even in church. There are times where you have no felt support from the community around you. You may even experience rejection. You shouldn't. That's not God's will. But there are times where we are or feel completely alone. And we need to know how in those times, because God allows it, how to strengthen ourselves in him to face the things that come that press down on us like heavy lead. So how do we do that? I want to name four things. There are plenty of things that we can do, but I want to talk briefly about four things that Scripture shows us that we can do to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. The first one is meditate on and speak the Word of God. Meditate on and speak the word of God. When Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, We praise God that you received our words not as the words of men, but as they really are, the very words of God. Elsewhere, the scripture says that the word of God is like a a two-edged sword. It's so powerful, it can divide between soul and spirit. When Paul tells us that to take, put on spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6 for protection, he says, take up the sword of God's spirit, which is the word of God. It's a sword. Jeremiah in the Old Testament says that the word of God is like a hammer that breaks through rocks. You ever seen one of them jackhammers that that breaks up concrete? Okay. Jeremiah is saying the word of God is like that. It can break through the hardest thing. No matter what you face, no matter what mountain is in your way, no matter what resistance is in front of you, no matter what struggle, how hard it looks like, how immovable of an object, God's word has the ability to break through it, to bring breakthrough in your life, whether it's a relationship struggle, whether it's a marriage issue, whether it is a financial issue, whether it's a trust issue, whether it's a a job issue whether it's a difficult person you're dealing with, God has wisdom. He is the source of all wisdom. There's nothing that we can experience that his word doesn't speak about. And yet people, listen to me. If we don't have a habit of going to that word regularly, we won't turn to it for strength when we need the strength. You know why David's men didn't turn to strengthen themselves in the Lord? Because they didn't have a habit of strengthening themselves in the Lord. And so they caved to bitterness because they didn't have a habit. In today's language, we would say that um, they probably, those men, if they were really struggling, they would probably 
they would probably, well, first they would just stuff their struggle and they'd ignore it. But then if it just kept kind of creeping up, they would turn and they'd say, let's go out and have a drink. Nothing wrong with one drink. Nothing wrong with it. God created alcohol. But let's, just, let's, let's medicate this. Let's stuff it down. Let's get rid of it. Let's forget it. Let's deal with it that way. Or they would say, let's go, let's surf the net. Like, let's just drown our sorrows in um, online. Let's just, you know, uh, let's, let's get on Facebook and see. Let's watch a movie. Let's this, let's that. Things that can be fine in their own, in their own um, right, but things that can be used to run from trouble. Where do you go when you're discouraged? Where do you go when you have trouble? Where do you turn to? If we don't have a habit of turning to the Lord, we won't turn to Him when we need to be strengthened, be encouraged. And so we need to develop the habit of meditating on God's Word and taking it in, believing it, and speaking it. Lord, I thank you that you are a shepherd. Thank you that you are my shepherd and that I shall not want. Thank you that like a shepherd takes care of their sheep and guides them and goes after them when they stray and binds them up when they hurt. That you're present to do these things in my life, Lord. That you watch over me. That you guide me into right paths. Thank you, Lord, that there's nothing I need that you won't supply. Your word says my God is able to supply all of your needs in proportion to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Father, I might feel right now like I just am really lacking. I don't have the wisdom to deal with this situation. I don't have the resources to deal with this. I don't have the funds to deal with this. But you've got everything. And I thank you that you want to supply all my needs. Father, I reach out to you. You see how meditating on the word of God, the promises of God, and there's something for everything. Turning to him. And we get strengthened. Strengthened. Second way that we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord is praying in tongues. Now, I, I want to teach on this uh, in a, in a, sometime over the next couple of months. We've talked about it a few times in the last few months. But because probably two dozen of you, of members of our church family or so, have shared with me that you've already received this gift from the Lord and others have, have shared that you're praying for it, I want to just do a very, very brief teaching right now on praying in tongues. So if you're unfamiliar, if you're new to the faith, let me just explain really quickly. Um, one, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit gives gifts to us, and one of those gifts is the ability to pray from our spirit with words that are not in a language like in English. So Paul says when he writes to the Corinthian church, um, I'll pray with my mind and I pray with my spirit. So I pray with my mind. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. I'm thinking about the situation. I'm using my wisdom and I'm asking God to help me to guide, guide me by his word to pray. When I'm praying with my spirit, I'm not thinking about what to pray. I'm just praying. So I'll just give you an example real quick and then I'll teach about it. Okay, so. My mind doesn't know what I'm praying, but my spirit is praying. God's given me a language to pray with, to connect with him. And let me tell you four things that Paul says about that in 1 Corinthians 14, really briefly. The first thing he says is, when we pray in tongues or we pray in the Holy Spirit, it's also called, my spirit, he says, is speaking to God. He says, my, you're, you're, we are connecting to God. 1 Corinthians 4, chapter 2. So right away, remember this. God's put his spirit within me. He's joined himself to me and we're one spirit. And the Holy Spirit, who knows how to pray, is now praying with and through me to God the Father. So I'm connecting to God. The second thing he says is that um, I'm uttering mysteries. In the Bible, when it says something's a mystery, that means it's not known to the person who's talking about it. So I'm, I'm praying something that I don't know, but God knows. He's actually directing or giving the language for it, which is really, really beneficial. Because God knows what we need when we don't know how to pray. This is why Romans chapter 8 says that the Holy Spirit 
intercedes for us with wordless groanings. He knows what we need. Sometime you might be praying, Oh God, would you please change my spouse or change my, my friend and would you please make it so that they... But if you would go and pray in tongues or pray in the Spirit, what you'd find out, if you could hear what you were really praying, is you'd probably be praying some version of, Oh God, give me humility and open my eyes so that I can see the way that I'm treating this person and how I'm contributing to this situation. And as you pray that way, as the Holy Spirit prays that way through you, God actually begins to do those things. So I'm praying to God. I'm speaking mysteries, meaning things that I don't know when I'm praying, but God knows when I'm praying. He knows what's needed. Here's the last thing Paul says about this and why it's such a gift and why we ought to each seek it. He says, he who prays or she who prays in a tongue edifies himself. In other words, they build themselves up. They, get, they strengthen themselves. They encourage themselves. To edify is to build up, to strengthen, and to encourage. So I can pray this way, or you can pray this way, and you will be built up, strengthened, and encouraged just by offering yourself your tongue to the Lord in faith and praying. So sometimes when I'm at my most difficult moments and I don't know what to pray, I'll just start praying in the spirit or in tongues. And what I'll find happens is the Lord will bubble up scripture and he'll also bubble up hope and peace that enables and empowers me to pray with faith. I have to come to God with faith because he's always good and he's always working for my good even when I can't see it, I can't understand it, I can't feel it, it hurts. He is always good and he always has goodness for me. So I've got to approach him with faith. Okay? Third way that we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. This is really simple, and anybody can do it anytime, anywhere. Thank God with a joyful heart. Paul says to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say, Rejoice To the Thessalonians, he commands them, rejoice in the Lord. Well, Psalm 100 says this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. In um, scripture, the picture of the image of gates is a, a metaphor for entering into God's presence. And so what the psalmist is saying is, when he says enter his gates with thanksgiving, he's saying, Come into the place where God is. You have gates in front of a home, right? Come into God's presence with thanksgiving. You can be in the most difficult, dark, pressed in upon, I can't understand it place. But if you'll just start to say, God, thank you for waking me up this morning. God, thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you that you've forgiven me, that you have eternal life for me, that you have purpose for me. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you for putting me in the body of Christ. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you don't change like shifting shadows. But you are always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, God, that you promise in your word what you begin, you carry on to completion. Thank you, God. You start thanking him, and you will get filled. You will find you change on the inside. I'm going to say a bit more about that in a minute, but let's go on to number four first. It's closely connected. Worship the Lord. Worship him. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts, that's further in, with praise. The the psalm says, the Lord is enthroned upon the praises of his people. Meaning, he comes near. We come into his presence as we worship him. The psalmist also says, bring or give to God a sacrifice of praise. It's not a sacrifice to praise God when everything is going well in your life. It's not a sacrifice to praise Him when you didn't just have a car accident that might have totaled your vehicle and you need to get to work tomorrow morning. But when you just had an accident like that, and you can get in and say, God, I worship you. 
I worship you because you are worthy all the time. You are always good. You always provide. You always care. I worship you. That's a sacrifice of praise. But when we can worship the Lord in the darkness, we get strengthened. Because worship brings us into his presence and he meets us as we worship him. This is why James says, draw near to the Lord and he'll draw near to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Don't you know that when you're in that place, the devil's knocking hard at the door trying to invite bitterness and disillusionment and you can't trust God and he's not going to fulfill his promise and you have to resist him like David resisted him and strengthen himself in the Lord. And I want to tell you that the key to the effectiveness of all four of these, what I'll call means of grace, is faith. It's faith. If we go to God's Word and we read it religiously because it's out of habit, but we don't come with faith, we aren't going to get strengthened in the Lord. You've got to come to God's word with this attitude. You have given this incredible gift and you speak and there is something for me in here right now. And I will not put it down in this hour of difficulty until I get something from you. I know a number of people that will tell me when they reach this point, they pick it up and they'll read 20 psalms in a row until something grabs their heart. Some encouragement, some lift, some promise that the Lord connects to them. And, they, and then, from that place, they can leave. But they come with faith. They come expecting, you will meet me here. You will provide for me. Same thing with praying in the Spirit. I pray, believing that God prays through me. He strengthens me through that act. I want to tell you that almost all the time that I pray that way, I have no feelings. I don't feel anything. Some people talk about having experiences of feeling God's presence or God coming upon them. I don't feel Much of anything. I pray that way in faith because God's given the gift and he strengthens me through it. I thank God with faith and I praise him with faith and he meets me through those acts. But I can't come limp and half-hearted. I can't come not expecting him to meet me. I have to come expecting that he's got something for me as I thank and I praise him in this dark hour. And here's where I want to end. David persevered in the worst, the most difficult, dark, heavy, leaden circumstances in strengthening himself in the Lord. And the fruit of one man's perseverance was inheritance for 600 plus wives and children and the whole nation of Israel, and through them, us. Because Jesus is the son of David. If that's the fruit of one person strengthening themselves in the Lord when he didn't have the Holy Spirit, what could God do through you and I? What could he do as we develop a life style. Not just a, when it's the darkest of the dark, but a lifestyle of strengthening ourselves daily in the Lord. What could he do? How many people out there will get a restored family David's men had restored families because he strengthened himself in the Lord. How many broken families are there out there that God in his love and his mercy wants to restore? How many people have lost things that God gave them and intended for their good that God wants to restore? And how many will get them back because you and I strengthen ourselves in the Lord? 
How many people are stuck in the bondage of bitterness and need somebody to call them out and say, Come, come with me to the Lord. He's good. If God did all of this through one person, how much more can't he do through you and I? Young and old. As we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And I just want to end by, by pointing this out. These I am statements that we've been talking about, they're gifts from the Lord. Like he says, you are free and we get to unwrap the gift of I'm free. I'm free, I don't have to pay for my sin, I don't have to make up for it. The whole sermon I've been talking about strengthening ourselves. And so how does that feel like a gift? The gift is the Holy Spirit. The gift is God joining himself to us and saying, I love you so much, I didn't just die for you. I'm coming to give you my spirit and put my spirit within you. We get to unpack the gift through strengthening ourselves in the Lord and in his mighty strength. Okay, I just want to make that clear. It's a grace gift that we then get to unpack and act on. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are always present. Thank you that you always have resources for us. Thank you that you are the same, that you never change. And thank you that all that you are as our great God and Father, you make available to us every day. Would you so tutor us by your Holy Spirit that we would each be and become men, women, and children that would be mighty in your kingdom, that we would be able to lead many to reclaim what has been stolen. So strengthen us, Lord, and help us to strengthen ourselves in you that we shine with your glory and your goodness all the time. In the name of Jesus, amen.